Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. As I uh, just uh, said earlier, uh, Auckland Council quits local government NZ. Uh, and so we're going to try and uh, get LGNZ on the panel just for a quick response to that. Uh, if not, uh, you'll be able to hear more of that in Checkpoint. But uh, a bit of background there. Uh, Brown had called for a review of the council's membership, which costs around 400 k a year. Uh, and uh, he spoke disparaging of its value. The mayor said his band had played a conference and and, and at, um, uh, at one time in the Bay of Islands, quite watching 800 members of local boards getting pissed and dancing the night uh, long for no benefit to ratepayers, questioned my value of it. So he used this casting vote to pull out of uh, that uh, sector group, which is local government New Zealand. But the other uh, big news today, the malaise of mediocrity is going to end, says National Party leader Christopher Luxon announcing his education policy. An hour of reading, an hour of writing, an hour of maths a day, also standardised twice a year testing of the basics and detailed reports for parents. Teacher registration fees to be scrapped. The government is implementing its own literacy and communication and math strategy, which aims to bring a greater focus on literacy and numeracy. And a 2020 UNICEF report found over a third of our 15-year-olds did not have basic proficiency in literacy and maths. Just one of various reports showing we are falling back in core subjects. With us is Dr. Sarah Ayono, the CEO of Longworth Education, a doctor of education with post-grad qualifications in Māori learner achievement and special needs resource teaching and is an accredited professional development provider for the Ministry of Education. Dr. Ayono, welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So it's called Teaching the Basics Brilliantly. A fair bit going on here. Uh, Standardised twice-a-year testing, detailed reports of the parents. What stood out for you the most? Uh, well, where to start? Yep. Um, I think so there's probably two points that I want to raise about this. Um and one, I think, when we're talking about coming back to the basics, you know, talking about that hour a day of reading, writing and math, the way it's been announced today, it's as if teachers haven't thought about doing this before, um, that they're not already doing this. And I want to make it really clear that the work we do in schools, I, I stand in classrooms alongside really hardworking teachers who are working their butts off for their teachers, uh, for their students to make improvements in, in literacy and, and numeracy and the, and the basics, right? So I guess the first point I want to make is it's actually not about us needing new policy. It's not about us needing a new curriculum. We've got a good curriculum. We've got an understanding about how children learn. It's about how we support our teachers and, and how we help them deliver a world-leading curriculum that isn't a one-size-fits-all curriculum. Okay, no. here's an, okay, here's another point then, Sarah. Yeah. He cited Finland, and don't we all cite Finland yeah. uh, when we want to uh, um, gravitate to the world's best in education? Yeah. Uh, and Chris Luxon did that. He said, look, there, teachers get access to this high quality resource bank, be it online or whatever. So when you're doing your uh, post-school, um, uh, I guess, um, preparation, you've got this mm. bank information that you can tap into. Mm. Do you know any more about that that uh, w- we don't? 
No, I don't know about that, but I do know, for example, that Finland don't ask their teachers to test their kids until they are much older than what nationals policy are, are putting into place. Really? There's no, there's no testing that happens in at the primary school level, and that what they actually do is focus in on developmentally appropriate teaching and learning, um, and, and looking at a balance between knowing that we're getting... There, there's no doubt that we need to teach reading, writing and maths. We know that. But it's actually everything else around that that creates the learner that's ready to go out into the world. Um, the, you know, for example, Mr. Luxon was talking about this idea of the bands, right, and coming back to teaching to a year level. We have the bands, these this sort of broad three-year band um, achievement, uh, I suppose, ruling or, or um, organisation in the curriculum at the moment. That's based on decades and decades of research about how we know how children learn, about neuroscience, about how their brains work. If we're going to get rid of that uh, and go back to this idea of teaching to an age, then we're going against significant international research about how children learn. And we know that Finland, as one example, do know that. They do know how children learn. They know children have to be having experiential learning. They have to be up and moving about. They also teach the basics, but they teach the other stuff really well as well. Um, and we know that actually if we narrow the focus down into the basics, then the rest of the stuff doesn't get taught well and we actually get a very, very um, narrow focus of what learning and achievement looks like in schools. Well, that's very interesting. Um, uh, it's not just about the basics. It's not just about... You're reading, writing, maths, uh, food for thought there. Let's start with you, Connor English. Uh, yeah, look, I've got about four, <clears throat> I think, siblings who, who have been teachers uh, for their careers, and I've had half a dozen kids through the education sector. Um, look, and so, you know, I would never be a teacher for quids. I just wouldn't have the patience. Uh, to deal with our kids, especially these days. So, so I have enormous respect for teachers. But isn't, it, isn't the fact is that we're just not getting the outcomes we need? And we're seeing these kids who just don't have the basics around reading, writing and maths. And, you know, I'm sure if you go to the prison population, there aren't, you know, there's plenty of people there who just don't have the basic skills you need to participate constructively in society. So I don't understand the methodology of teaching, but if the numbers are saying that we're getting worse, we need to be doing something to get us to be better. And if just focusing, uh, if one of the things is focusing on reading and writing and maths and just having a basic level um, of competency in it, um, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Really fair point, Sarah. Yeah, and look, I don't disagree, but that assumes that we don't have that already. We've we've got all these systems in place to be able to set that. Interestingly, when we when we cite failing levels, um, we've actually been here before. This, this feels a bit like deja vu with some of the announcements over the last couple of days. The, you, know, you mentioned in your introduction the 2020 um, study around yes. our failing levels. Now, the children that were involved in that study are children that have come through a system based on the previous national government's national standards policies, right? So we've got kids who started school back in 2008, 2009, at the time that National implemented the National Standards Policies, which are very, very similar to what we're hearing in the last two days with the policies. Is this National now, Standards Part 2? It is. It absolutely is. It's, it's 
In fact, it actually takes it a step further because in the previous policies, they didn't talk about uh, standardised testing, which was a feature of international um, policies around this, which, which we copied from overseas. Now we're hearing the national, you know, national um, standardised testing as well as um, you know, setting these year-level attainment um, goals as well. You know? So the data that we're hearing about failing literacy and numeracy is based okay. on kids who have had this policy before. Right. Yes, someone says, I'm a teacher, Raid. We already have three hours a day Absolutely. covering English, maths, etc. Um, yeah. Gosh, we're going to have to do a part two with you, Sarah. So, on so, this. so is there no response. problem? Is that, is that what, is that what um, Sarah's saying? Is that there isn't any problem that everyone is totally competent in terms of reading, writing, and, no, and no, arithmetic? No, I'm not saying and that. so let's not do anything. Let's no, just I'm not let's just let all. the existing system go on, and uh, you know throw our youth on the scrap heap because they're just not getting basic skills. Which actually, as a society, we owe them a duty to do that. And if you're just oh, going to sit back and say, "Oh, look, it's okay," and you make some political point, I, I just don't think that's right for our youth and for our young okay, people. Sarah? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Connor. And, and I'm not saying at all that, that um, it's not okay to, you know, we just keep going the way it is. I think what it is is that our teachers need help. They need help to be supported with the enormous diversity that they have in front of mm-hmm. them. This, this policy is assuming that every child who arrives at five at school in front of them is ready to learn. We know they're not, and we know that there are increasing um, diversity in the way that children learn the backgrounds they come from, neurodiversity, trauma, that all impacts on the way that a child accesses the curriculum. Right. Verity. Sarah, like, what I'm hearing here is basically Luxon's brought in National Standards 2.0 and that basically what you're saying is we've already tried this strategy back in 2008. We tried it. It didn't work. Now we're trying to, whether it be scrapped it, still didn't work. Now we're trying to bring it back. Probably not going to work again. So mm. if we already have a system which incorporates a lot of what you're talking about here and what Luxon's proposing, if we already have that and it's failing, what other factor needs to change to stop us failing? Like, what else is the single most biggest improvement we can do for actually increasing uptake if it's not about curriculum? It's about the support that we give the teachers. Teachers are, you know, at the moment, teachers we saw last week, the strikes. The strikes that were happening were not about money. It's about their conditions. It's about them actually being able to be the best professional in front of these kids. And and teachers are struggling at the moment. I you know, in all my time I've worked with teachers in classrooms, I have never seen teachers so spent, so exhausted. And these are teachers who want the very best for their kids. They, you know, they give of their time. It's often at the expense of their, their uh, own families, their own money. Um, we need to be supporting teachers through, you know, human resourcing, additional human resourcing, financial resourcing, more professional development. We, you know, there's been a huge... Um, input over the last couple of years and how we understand how children learn to read. That's been um, prolific through New Zealand. That's revolutionised a lot of the way that, that our teachers are teaching reading. Um, the way that they do literacy and numeracy has also been um, supported. They need time. They need energy. They need support. They don't need to be okay. kicked around like this. It's great to have you on, Sarah. Thanks uh, for your t- uh, time uh, with us. That's Dr. Sarah Ayono, uh, CEO of Longworth Education. Um, and, uh, yeah, what a response uh, to that. Thank you for your feedback. We have got to come back uh, to this. Now, uh,
In other news, mega EV charging hubs along our state highway network, similar to petrol service stations. That's the government's strategy. They want to build 25 to 34 hubs, each with up to 20 chargers. Small towns, a charger in every small town, over 2,000 people. If you have an EV and if you're on a trip, it's a big problem. You've got nowhere to charge up your electric vehicle. Our light vehicle fleet, the cars we drive, is the single largest source of transport emissions in the country. With us is Catherine Trounson from Better NZ Trust and Leading the Charge, a non-political EV enthusiast group. Kia ora, Catherine. Good afternoon, Morris. And thanks for, your, thanks for waiting too uh, for us. Um, so pretty significant EV infrastructure uh, announcement there. What's your reaction to it? Um, well, um, I think the, uh, the, the whole idea about publishing any kind of strategy like this is making sure that um, uh, things are not developed piecemeal and that perhaps um, is why this overarching structure has been uh, proposed to really show that um, EVs are not a flash in the pan. They're not something which you know people are going to throw away um, in the next 10 years. This is what um, our life has to become if we are to even get anywhere close to our CO2 emissions targets. So the idea of almost replicating um, a petrol station, which gives you know, right. um, up to 20 charges, etc., with toilets and, and facilities for children and facilities to go and get a coffee and eat lunch or whatever, um, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think, um, you know, unless you have a, a stated aim, it's very difficult to know whether you're getting your near close to it, isn't it? It really uh, is, isn't it? Um, but uh, our EV fleet is still 1% of our fleet. It's tiny. It is just so tiny, Catherine. Well, it's it's certainly over about 60,000 um, cars now, I think, I think, Wallace. And, um, you know, the, the suggestion is that we need to be up to um, 30% by 2030 if we're to have any, um, any chance of... Uh, becoming a, a, a more um, economically viable um, EV uh, nation. We've got the electricity, we've got the resources, you know, we are perfectly placed to uh, take this challenge up and to move our light fleet um, to um, essentially to EVs. And as you will have seen in the document as well, they're, they're not just stopping at uh, light cars, they're, they're looking at um, heavy transport, they're looking at uh, ferries, there's an electric ferry in Wellington already, electric yep. buses, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, everything is being sort of pulled together into this one uh, document to give uh, the overarching strategy. And that's, that's the only way we can go forward, isn't it? Kia Catherine. Um, I had a question. I have this debate sure. almost every day when I talk to my dad about how he needs to buy an EV and the thing he always tells me is that he is worried he would not be able to drive to Hamilton from Auckland without having to recharge and I feel as though dad as ever is statistically representative of a lot of dudes in their 60s, sorry 50s dad, um, who have got spare cash for an EV. Is the concern about not being able to go you know, more than an hour and a half, is that the biggest factor that people have in not buying EVs, the concern about how long they can go? Um, I think that that does tend to um, sort of focus the mind quite uh, quite easily in that direction. But what uh, people have to remember is that there are EV 
charging stations between here and Hamilton. So, um, you know, you might, your father might say, but, you know, once I get in my car in Auckland, then I don't, I don't want to get out of it until I get to Hamilton. So that's exactly that what means, he says. He, <laughs> so he either, you, you either, but you, he either has to buy an EV, which will do 200 kilometers without, without even sort of, you know, missing a beat and then charge in Hamilton and then come back. It depends whether he's going for a day trip or whether he's going down to visit relatives and staying overnight or whatever. Um, and I suppose what I always say to anybody considering an EV is you have to look at what 95% of your weekly driving is. If it's less than 30 right, kilometers, okay. then um, you know, why buy a car that will do 450 kilometers just in case somebody says, can you drive to Wellington now? Connor, so, Connor tempted to buy an EV, an electric uh, SUV, I'm sorry, electric ute or what have you? Uh, well, why not? Um, the only biggest barrier is just the cost of them, and I Very think the second, the second biggest one is is that anxiety about um, not having enough, uh, you know, power in the battery to get to wherever you're going. I mean, in terms of all this infrastructure, we, we had, you know, we transitioned from the horse and cart to the internal combustion engine, and now we're sort of transitioning into the EV, and it makes sense to have a network, doesn't it, so that you can get from sure. point A to point B. But I guess the more EVs you have, the more queues there's going to be, and you can fill up a tank of gas a lot quicker than you can charge a battery, I think. <laughs> well, I, 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 there are several people who might actually um, contend that, that that isn't necessarily the case. I mean, 92% of our cars are parked overnight um, in houses or, or um, you know, off-street parking where you can uh, fling a cable out and plug and, you know, charge on a three-pin plug. So um, it's only really uh, the, the queues that you have seen or have been um, identified at charging uh, stations up and down the country have tended to be at, um, you know, holiday periods when everybody is on the move. And even right. you would probably have to admit that even petrol stations can get fairly, you know, chocker when somebody, <laughs> everybody wants to get up to Brindirwins or whatever. So Fair I point, think Catherine. That, that's, a, that's a bit, um, you know, that's a bit that's kind of um, uh, excuse I think sometimes people will give for not wanting to move from right. their, very, their very sort of, you know, nice and cuddly ice vehicle. Kia ora, Catherine. Thank you. That's Catherine Frounson uh, from Leading the Charge, which is uh, a non-political EV enthusiast group. That news there, that uh, a strategy to roll out uh, EV charging hubs, similar to your petrol service stations across uh, the Motu. Uh, OK, so a Londoner spends 10 years sampling scones at hundreds of historic sites across the UK. As a member of the National Trust, Sarah Merkel would often travel to castles and homes, ending up at the end with tea and scones, a British national obsession. The first scone recipe printed in 1699. But in 10 years of writing about scones, she would avoid one question, because it would always become sensitive. Is it the cream first, or is it the jam first? With us... From Wellington is Miriam. Miriam, welcome. Hello, how are you? Very good. I, I guess I know your answer by your hashtag. <laughs> uh, your, your Twitter tag is hashtag jam first. Always jam first. I'm, I'm from Cornwall and it's always jam first because then you can get the biggest amount of clotted cream. It has to be clotted cream on the top and it's marvellous. Is that the argument that those from uh, Cornwall, it's jam first, but in Devon, it's oh, cream first? No. no, there's 
such a big rivalry between Cornwall and Devon about the fact that the best thing about Devon is the road through it to Cornwall. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have uh, um, Verity here. You're from England, and, aren't you? And you're going to do this. Yeah, you're from England, so do you want to sort of what, what's the what's the real what's the goss? <laughs> I'm because, the, because I'm, I'm hashtag um, jam first, obviously, because you've got your jam and you need, then you put a dollop of cream. How can you use cream like butter where you spread? It's odd. Yeah, this is. I I think this is about class, as a lot of things in England related to weird culinary habits actually are about class. So, like, my grandma was always cream first, jam second. And the reason it could be cream first, jam second is the jam she used was runny. Now, posh people in England... Listen, this, I'm serious here. Posh people in England have a very specific type of jam that you can pour because it has whole fruit bits in it. You're actually kidding me. No, this is legit. This caused a family argument in my house for decades. So my dad, who is a bit more working class, has solid jam with no pieces in it. My mum, who is a little bit fancy mum, has pouring jam with whole fruit pieces in it. So if you are fancy, you can pour your jam, which means you can put it on second. Miriam, are you fancy? (laughs) Good gosh, no. (laughs) Apart apart from when we use um, my Fijoa and ginger jam, that's quite solid. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. (laughs) Bit of a thing to spread because it comes out of the fridge, but it's nice. Yeah, okay. Hashtag jam first. Hey, um, well, of course, let's not forget <laughs> Connor because after a hard day's fencing, uh, you're putting up your fence, you come back to the uh, the household. What do you have? You've got a big mug of tea and freshly baked uh, scones. Mm. What do you put on it, Connor? Well, look, I play it both sides. So what? I can take it both Ooh. ways. Okay. You know, I, I don't have a strong... Uh, Deep belief in one way or the other. I, I'm, I'm just open. I'm open to all comers. That's interesting. <laughs> Do you have the same thing with toilet paper as well? Are you one of those people who has it like the wrong way and the right oh, way in the house? Subject already, really. <laughs> Let's talk about that next week. Hey, Miriam, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. There you go. That's Miriam there from uh, one of who has uh, Cornish bread. And she said it's bread and it's the only correct way. Loves the show. It has to be clotted cream. I found that thing. I got, I'm gonna, I've got to get back to that. I found that thing about um, solid jam versus road oh. jam. You, Dude, you're not I'm just... serious. I am not. I'm not kidding you. You're not this, trolling. No, I'm not trolling. I have a whole monologue on the differences of class and jam-related consumption, which I've had. it's been a ten-year debate within my family. I'm serious, and I also just to point out that I'm on Dad's side with a working-class jam. I don't like jam with All bits right. in it. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Look, a really big response regarding uh, education. Just a couple here. I'm a retired teacher. Yes, yes, yes. Connor is right. The basics are not being well taught, a hopelessly full curriculum, full of nonsense and not enough basic schools. He is exactly right on the button. Our teachers are narrow-minded and badly trained. We are doing a very poor job at present. Although Nick, uh, also a teacher, says Connor is pretty much not listening to what teachers need. The curriculum is fine. We just need to give teachers the learning conditions, for example, smaller sizes, learning support for diverse learners, to implement it effectively. Margie says, Sarah is correct. I work in a secondary school. Students are coming into class without the basic numeracy and literacy, 
and the single most reason is lack of support for teachers in primary, intermediate, secondaries. They can't do it alone, is Margie's point of view. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Verity Johnson and uh, Connor English with us.